0: from Washington D.C. and around the world. This is Government Matters with Francis Rose. Thanks for watching the only show covering the latest news, trends and topics that matter to the business of government. I'm your host Francis Rose. Agencies across government have a playbook to follow as they make arrangements to bring employees back to the office. The General Services Administration's posted the return to work strategy book on its website. GovExec reports GSA says the book isn't a step-by-step or one-size-fits-all strategy but a, quote, framework for discussion. Agencies can discipline and fire employees more easily starting next month. According to final rules the Office of Personnel Management published Friday, One One Rule adds notifications for managers when employees are three months and one month away from the end of an employee's probationary period. Of GovExec reports and other rules standardizes the process to discipline managers that retaliate against whistleblowers. A migration of data for 88,000 veterans to the new electronic health record system at the Department of Veterans Affairs is complete tonight. mann Staff VA Medical Center in Spokane, Washington was the test location for the migration. VA says the data it migrated includes clinical and demographic data. Veterans Health Administration Innovation Ecosystem funds a variety of projects aimed at helping veterans. The VHA will host a virtual innovation experience to showcase some of its newest solutions. Dr. Ryan Vega is executive director of the Veterans Health Administration Innovation Ecosystem. Dr. Vega, welcome. It's good to have you here. That's a cool name. Tell me what that name means, Innovation Ecosystem. It's not a program. It's not a bureau. It's a whole ecosystem.
1: That's right. Well, thanks for having me, Francis. I think the idea behind creating really an ecosystem was not only an evolution to build upon VA's longstanding history of being the leader in healthcare innovation, but to bring some of this innovation and the collaboration outside the walls of VA hospital. So this would be partnering with industries and industry partners like Microsoft or Verizon, as well as our academic affiliate like MIT or even hospitals and health systems like Mayo Clinic. So it was really trying to build a robust ecosystem, diverse viewpoints, whether it's an engineer or a surgeon, to really bring together that expertise and solve some of our our most pressing problems for our nation's better.
0: Before we get specifically to the event, tell me broadly what you do to try to go out and find that innovation from those organizations, both private sector and academia that you just described.
1: That's a great question. We have a number of different, we call them portfolios that focus both on internal, internal entrepreneurship or internal solutions, as well as external. And we use a number of different tactics, so to speak. Some of these may be hackathons where we bring communities together to really ideate. So we've seen this both through the MIT hacking work we've done as well as another uh, event called Challenge America or the COVID-19 really uh, make-a-thon where we bring diverse groups together to actually come up with real solutions. And in this case, it was for frontline providers as well as emergency response personnel. And so a lot of these ideas and solutions generate not only networks and relationships, but some solutions that we're actually piloting in VA medical centers across the country today.
0: You used a term a moment ago that I think sounds really interesting, and that is the term internal entrepreneurship. There's no question in my mind, I'm an outside observer, I'm an amateur compared to you, doctor, but it would strike me if I were trying to guess, I would guess that the entrepreneurship, the innovation that happens inside the VHA happens on more an ad hoc basis when a provider needs to respond to a situation with a patient or that kind of thing. It sounds from that term like there's more intention that you and your colleagues put to the idea of entrepreneurship inside the agency. What does that look like?
1: You're exactly right. We believe that those providers, those administrators are best positioned to solve problems that we encounter every day and add value back into the system. Because look, they're the ones living it. They're the ones that have to deal with a lot of the challenges that exist. And so we've created really a formal process through a number of different programs, but one particularly called Spark Seed Spread, which actually allows these individuals to receive, think of it as some grant money, but there's not long, restrictive processes. They can receive money. Sometimes it's just a couple of hundred dollars all the way till several thousand dollars to really create these solutions and bring them to fruition. And we've done so not only purposefully, but really to eliminate a lot of the bureaucracy and red tape that some of these folks have to go through. So they are immediately pushed into sort of our accelerator, our catalyst program. We help them with contracting, we help them with acquisition, and we really put them in sort of a meaningful year-long network that really helps advance their solution. And then uh, we look at it as it's not much about whether the solution itself is successful, It's about these individuals now having the skills and the resources to go out and solve even more problems.
0: All right. What's the connection to that type of entrepreneurship, both internally and you mentioned external entrepreneurship as well, and the innovation experience event that's coming?
1: So we're really excited about next week. We'd love to be in person, but, you know, we say these aren't ordinary times. What you're going to see is really a showcase from VA on some of the great and innovative work going on both with our partners externally, as well as hear from those individuals on the front lines who are actually driving some of these solutions, whether it's their own internal solution uh, that was created or whether it's through partnerships with some of these affiliates that, that we mentioned earlier.
0: Dr. Ryan Vega, I wish we had more time. I wish you the best of luck in your event next week. Thanks very much for your time, sir.
1: Thanks so much for having me,
0: Francis. Up next, stopping serious threats at the airport that come within the workforce. Straight ahead on Government Matters, the Transportation Security Administration's new approach to insider threats. You're watching WJLA 24-7 News. Welcome back. About 1.8 million people work at airports across the country. The Transportation Security Administration has a new roadmap to help detect, deter, and mitigate threats from inside the security bubble. Steve Carelli is executive vice president of K2 Security Screening Group. He's former principal advisor to the administrator at the Transportation Security Administration. Steve, welcome, thanks for coming on. When we talk about insider threats in the cyber realm on this program, we primarily talk about innocent threats and malignant threats somebody who just does something by accident versus somebody who's intentionally trying to do something malicious is that a fair analogy to use from the transportation security perspective
2: absolutely francis and thank you for having me on your show um you're absolutely right that is uh one of the, the, the focus areas it's both the 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 folks that are accidentally letting folks in ie they call that phishing, where Uh, uh, bad actors trying to get into the system, and uh, an employee may inadvertently let them in the system. But the more more, uh, focused ones that we need to go after are the folks that are just really trying to hack the system or uh, put ransomware on the system. Ransomware is is something that uh, someone gets in your system and encrypts your data and then doesn't allow you to actually see your data, so you have to pay them to to basically get the encryption code, Um, as well as hacking. Uh, trying to take down your system in the transportation system sector. Obviously, you know you take down one area that affects the entire country. When it's talking about, especially aviation, for example.
0: What does the threat landscape look like across that sector, Steve?
2: So uh, you already mentioned the cyber attacks. Obviously, is is, is a big deal. Uh, insider threat is one of the is probably one of the other bigger uh, concerns. Uh, not only do you have that um, that lone actor, bad actor within your organization. Um, They are also a facilitator of external threats, if you will, helping those external uh, threats into the system. And those external threats usually have more resources, if that be money, be that, uh, you know, uh, uh, weapons, uh, explosives, those kind of things. Uh, So it's both from an internal and an external perspective, you actually look at insider threat. I mentioned
0: the new roadmap that TSA is looking at. Is there anything different here? Does the threat landscape evolve over time in the transportation security sector?
2: So, um, um, what, what the, the roadmap really did is provide a, a more uh, distinct strategy for both the private and the public sectors. Now, the public sector and the private sector have been working together for years, uh, um, making sure that we had a multi layered approach to actually addressing uh, security with, throughout the transportation system sector. Um, so, in, in other words, they've been working on uh, robust and recurring background checks. They've been working on random and unpredictable screening. They work on implement access controls. What this strategy will do is is highlight that and and actually force more of a structured approach and, in fact, engaging uh, other uh, sectors as well as engaging the international community as well.
0: What has the evolution of that relationship between the public sector and the private sector looked like in the transportation systems organization over the years?
2: Yeah, so um, they've been doing this for we'll say in the early two, uh, 2010 era, um, primarily. And so it, there's, uh, there's actually uh, advisory committees that get together to talk through the security advisory committee, talk through uh, what is needed out there. Probably the biggest uh, area that they're working on is to figure out how to uh, share data more so than what they're doing today. Just sharing intelligence, sharing best practices, uh, sharing lessons learned, that's important. Things happen. Um, and if you, if you get that information out to others, they're going to learn from it. Um, also the discussion about bringing in those international um, uh, partners, as well as other uh, sector leads, um, having a more holistic view on executing. And lastly, I would say exercises and tests, getting those more robust and more uh, structured across the uh, system. Obviously, the airlines have a tremendous amount of data that they can
0: share with the Transportation Security Administration other organizations inside the federal government. Where else is there data, Steve, that the private sector can share with the federal government to help keep the whole experience safe?
2: Yeah. So, I think um, we're talking, like you said, you mentioned, Francis, exactly, as airlines and airports, uh, airport authorities. Um, you know, there's other stakeholders within that. You know, local law enforcement, for example, is, is at airports. Um, concessionaires are at airports. So there's a lot of eyes in, in an airport that could help with um, finding, if you will, the, the insider threat or finding the threat. Um, and having a good training uh, program and a good awareness program at uh, transportation hubs and transportation locations helps with understanding uh, how to actually uh, entangle all the, thre- all the the uh, views and integrate those views into having one, uh, one solution, if you will, when it comes to understanding where the threat is.
0: What's your sense of how well the various government organizations involved here, Steve, are doing at telling those private sector organizations what they need, whether it's eyeballs or specific data or something else? How well are government agencies doing at maintaining those relationships and exchanging that information?
2: That's a great question. Question: Francis, and they're doing a really good job. Um, I will tell you, there's again both formal and informal uh, venues um, at airports themselves, at uh, other transportation hubs. There's, you know, there's weekly, monthly type meetings that they're discussing these type of events, discussing what they can do, trying to figure out what that campaign of um, uh, uh, the, the campaign to, to to make sure that people are aware of of what the threats are. Um, so. What they'll do with, with the strategy, in fact, this TSA uh, strategy that just came out, insider uh, threat strategy, will more formalize, we'll formalize this um, in a, a better structure so that more and more folks get to see what is required out there. We have about 30 seconds left, Steve. That
0: formalization will result in what benefit for the government agencies, the private
2: sector stakeholders, and the travelers? Well, but to make sure they have a safe and secure uh, experience at all transportation hubs, bottom line. Steve, thanks very much for coming on. It's great to have you here. Thank you, Francis. I appreciate you having me on the show. Up
0: next, stakes on the rise for emerging technology in government. Straight ahead on Government Matters, the administration's new strategy for investing in developing tech. Don't forget, if you miss an episode of Government Matters, you can find it on our website, govmatters.tv. We'll be right back. Welcome back. The White House has a new hot list of emerging technology to tighten national security. The strategy identifies 20 critical new technologies and outlines objectives for prioritizing the innovation base. Tony Scott is CEO of the Tony Scott Group, former chief information officer of the United States. Tony, thanks very much for coming on. On first blush, I thought 20 things, that's a lot of different things to focus on. As I look at this list, though, all 20 of them strike me as tremendously important. Do you think I'm looking at this list the right way?
3: Well, I think you are. Um, in in my view, several of them could be combined together. There's a bunch of them that generally fall under the sort of computing, um, you know, advanced software uh, sort of space. But you know, some of them are worth calling out um, separately as well. So I mean, that's just an organization organizational issue. Uh, small coral, not a big deal. What's the most important thing that the government can
0: do as an enterprise to drive these 20 things? Is it just s and um, The, the strategy is very clear. It, it wants market-driven solutions and not state-driven solutions. So what's the government to do except to say we think these things are important?
3: I think there's a couple of things um, that really make a difference if you get them right. One is establish leadership somewhere in the federal government, put an agency uh, in charge of each of these as the central coordinating point for activities under that, um, you know, topic area. Um, Second is, um, uh, you know, make sure that the grants and other activities that the government is uh, capable of doing, whether it's research grants or other kinds of things, you know, really emphasize uh, these areas strongly. Um, Use the bully pulpit, you know, of the government to help uh, influence these. But one of the most important things, I think, um, is we've got to change the way government could use unsolicited proposals. Um, When I was in the private sector, this was one of the key ways that I was able to bring new and innovative things into my organization, no matter what it was. Um, And in government, that's typically a little harder to do because of competition reasons and so on. So if I were to focus on any one thing, it would be to encourage the legitimate use of more unsolicited proposals from the private sector. I think that could be a game changer in terms of really making progress on some of these uh, in some of these areas. What has to happen and who needs
0: to do what, Tony, in the construct, the way that it lives today to change that?
3: Well, it's really some of our procurement uh, practices and rules, culture as well. Uh, and so, I think somebody really needs to take leadership on that and and look at all of the barriers that are there. Um, I had more than one key supplier say, I'd love to come and do this. But the first thing that happens in most agencies is you turn right around to my competitor and ask them for their opinion or a competitive bid using the things that I just showed you. and. And so that was used as an excuse not to uh, bring unsolicited proposals into the government.
0: So does does that something
3: that every agency should try to take
0: on individually? So, for example, could one organization say, we're going to go ahead and give this a shot? Or is that something that should be coordinated at an agency-wide level? Maybe that lives at GSA or that lives at OMB or something like that.
3: I think it could start. OMB with some general, um, you know, encouragement for unsolicited proposals Uh, could be part of the rulemaking that OMB does, but ultimately it's got to be, ultimately it's got to be implemented in every agency uh, in one way or another. But I think OMB should really take leadership there. Is there a danger that if it's
0: implemented at the agency level that it'll look different in each organization? And companies, as they try to respond, will have to respond to the way this agency does it and it's different at this other place, and so we have 20-some different mechanisms.
3: Yeah, no, I agree with you. I wouldn't discourage any agency from doing this, obviously, because it's that important, but I think OMB is the place that could create a more unified and uh, common approach to this that, you know, would advance the cause across all agencies. There's another
0: element of this that struck me as I looked through this strategy, and NextGov writes it this way. Each uh, The strategy is molded around two pillars, promoting the national security innovation base and protecting a technology advantage. Each pillar includes a list of actions geared towards speeding the innovation process and walling it off from foreign influence. This is something the Defense Department is taking action toward with the uh, through the concept of adversarial capital. And I wonder if that's what this strategy is getting at as well, Tony, do you think?
3: I think it's... Obviously, a part of it in this particular case. I found that a little bit troubling because um, you know we have some great partners internationally, and um, and I think we need to be careful about foreign influence when it's good versus bad or helpful or among our you know partners that are have been great in terms of helping us uh, in the technology space. so, it, it probably, in the end of the day, can't all be just the U.S. doing it. But um, I understand where the concern is, where it's our adversaries. And, and we do need to be careful in those areas, obviously. So, um, I, I think that's probably too broad a brush, the way it's stated in the, uh, in the uh, policy document. We
0: have less than a minute left. Tony, what would you watch moving forward? Is it just the idea that you discussed earlier about the unsolicited proposals or are there are other elements here that you think will determine the progress or success of this strategy?
3: Well, I'll look for leadership. Um, you know, where where is the lead um, is one. The other one is what investment in people are we going to put into this particular area? Uh, you not only need leadership, but you need subject matter es- experts. And I would hope that in each of these critical areas, we find a way to gather the subject matter experts together and come up with the best, um, you know, strategy. Below this list, um, each of these is going to require a specific implementation plan and and uh, set of activities that the government's going to engage in. And they might be different across each of these, but each is going to require some sort of implementation. Tony Scott,
0: thanks very much. Great to have you back. Good to see you. Thanks, Francis.
1: I'm Cherise Hanner. You can now keep your finger to the pulse of all things that matter to the business of government anytime, anywhere. Subscribe to the Government Matters podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, SoundCloud, Tune in or simply ask your digital assistant to play the Government Matters podcast. For a quick fix of government news, follow us at Twitter at GovMattersTV.
0: That's the latest from Washington. Join me weeknights at 8 and 11 on WJLA 24-7 News and Sunday mornings at 10.30 on ABC7. Stay plugged in on issues that matter to the business of government. Thanks for watching. I'm Princess Rose.
1: Thanks for listening. Our daily program is produced by
0: Sharice Hanner and Ashley Gallagher. Christy Marriott leads our technical crew. Our web editor is Beatrix Haddon. Government Matters was created by George
2: Jackson. Visit govmatters.tv for articles, videos, and more, including our first feature-length documentary, The Dawn of Generation AI. Government Matters is recorded at WJLA-TV in Washington, D.C.
1: Copyright Sinclair Broadcast Group.